Today, day, um, I will take the precepts, refuges, practice meditation, and doing it uh, regularly every every fortnight, or in a way every week. It's the, it's the kind of regulator, something you can you can steer by, something that you kind of keep coming back to refreshing yourself reminding yourself using a form in, in that way form and one of the uses of form and structure is something that you, you kind of come back to and gives you a new reading you don't have any form or structure it's difficult to get a kind of a reading on where you how things are happening it's difficult to find a calm place unless you've got some sort of sense of structure. Structure is often seen in kind of opposition to to the content of our life, of life itself, which seems to be fairly Amorphous, fluid, ever-changing, dynamic, enjoyable, painful, arousing, boring. It's it's where all the the uh, the energy is, if you like. The kind of dynamic of life is in its content, and the form of it is not dynamic. It's kind of static. Um, So. When it comes down to enjoyment, and uh, then that's about the content. We have enjoyable things to do, which can be things that are calming or peaceful, or lovable, relaxing, inspiring, things of this nature. The content of it, and uh, sometimes these two seem to be in opposition to each other. We can actually make the form of our lives something that's not really, you know, very dynamic anymore. It's just something we get bored with. All the content of our lives has got no real, it's all just, uh, one doesn't reflect on it. It's just kind of stuff blowing by that that there's no, no lasting value. There's no way of developing wisdom from it. Bringing the two together is one what meditation's about, one way in which one would see meditation, living a contemplative life. And the reason why we live a contemplative life is to is to is for, if you like, one level, 
concentration or for bringing it all together, collecting it so we're not fragmented, we're not uh, uh, confused, we're calm and steady. So that you know this very this very uh, broad con- uh, understanding of what concentration or collectedness means. There's no collectedness, then there's no no real living. It's just all a blur. Often in in the rather fragmented state which we experience ourselves being in, we feel lack of, we'll call it the lack, the suffering is that way. It's suffering is a fragmentation. There's things outside of ourselves that we want. There's things inside of ourselves we don't want. We're broken up. We're in conflict. We've got holes in us that need to be filled. That's the way it seems. This is a <clears throat> so often. If this is properly acknowledged, then we're beginning to enter the right path. If it's not acknowledged, then it tends to be projected outwards. So we may feel, uh, you know, there's all kinds of things outside of where we're at that will actually fulfil us and make us happy. And, uh, when you're not really collected, this this, is, this seems to be the case. You know, you, you you find enjoyable experiences outside of yourself. But actually, what really happens is that from for a moment, something outside bring you know triggers off the feeling of joy, or of oneness, or of bliss or of love or of generosity or of relaxation or something like that. For a moment that the inner holes are filled, the uh, inner conflict is quelled. But really the the point of being of practicing Buddha Dharma is to is to consider this 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 view, the possibility that the suffering one's life can be can be abated, can be cleared out through not through some external means, but or only external means in relationship to how they are conducive to internal what we call internal uh, uh, fulfilment. People feel maybe they lack confidence, or they, there's a lack in themselves. So, look at what what these energies are. That uh, the way that suffering, lack, need, how it expresses itself, the need to have something, the need to be something, the need to belong to something. <laughs> A need for a kind of uh, for enjoyment, for excitement, for 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 happiness. And if we if we actually begin to recognise these, how they, they exp- how they manifest, how they then, in a way, we can use those those uh, we can consider those need those need energies those need patterns, and maybe. Use them to inform us how to 
what, how to meditate. We can fulfill those needs through practice of Dhamma. This is what I'm suggesting anyway. But you have to really know what they are. So when you think, you know, you know, ordinary complaining mind, things like, I never get enough, I never get to do this, I never get my way, I'm always the end of the line, I wish I was more this, I never get in this kind of feeling of being lower or or inferior. You know, which you won't could certainly, you can look around and consider that to be, it's true. But in Dharma practice, you've really got to question those, those things. Because of course they, they sound true, otherwise we, would, we wouldn't be trapped. If it was all so easy, if delusion was so easy, then we wouldn't be stuck in suffering. But why do we notice and see things in that way? Why, why is it that, that that way of looking at things in terms of, of more power or less power, or who's in charge, or who's junior, or who's senior, why does that mean so much to us? Why, you know, it, it, why does it stick so that we measure things in those ways? We can say perhaps it's a lack of confidence, and then we can feel we you know we should be more confident, whatever it is. But really, it's just to recognise that one there's a, there's a need for some kind of control, the need the need for for that energy of power. That's what it's expressing itself as. And often in this case, we in this situation, we tend to look for structures to to feel we've achieved something, or we are something. But in terms of, of actually, the, the Dharma practice, then you, you that need, you, you actually bring that need to, you use that need to develop things like um, sila, to give yourself the authority, of, of things like sila, of of, con- and of concentration, you're really you know, holding on to something, determining something, resolving something, fixing the mind onto this. You can do it like that to develop that aditana, so that you have that that kind of feeling that you are, you know, you have a, 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 a you're in charge. You have some authority on what you're doing. Aditana resolution. To be able to kind of just doing these all night sittings in a way is an expression of one's one's authority. If you take it like that, of course you can feel it's an expression of your own um, lack of it, that you, you're sort of stuck in a situation where you're forced to do these things. So so you have to be quite, you know, recognize the mind can play any old way. And when the mind is stuck in a feeling of inferiority, most everything is, is presented as a chance to make one feel confident is actually used, the mind uses it to make one feel inferior. It turns it around the other way. 
situations or occasions such as this, which are here in a way we can feel worthy, we can we can uh, get a sense of independence, standing up, you know, developing strength. We can feel, you know, I want to drag, I'm stuck here, I have to do, why do you have to do these silly things? And turn it around the other way to, to a feeling of lack of authority or, or influence in one's life. And the, the, for a monastic, the training rules are things that you, you can feel as seen as affirmations of what, what is in your best interest. Like, these are the tools, these are the things you've got going for you. You know, you can, you've got ways and means of, of really watching your, your body and your mind, your actions. Hey, look, what's, look what you've got, you know. You've got things that kind of, you've got training rules that help you to, to really keep a hold of your of the passions that prevent you from from getting into a lot of lot of trouble, and yet one can uh, help you to, to develop skillful means in terms of mindfulness of the body, mindfulness of your relationships, mindfulness of your belongings, and your and your those kind of desires that own and possess. It's great, isn't it? You've got all these things given to you. And yet we can feel, oh, I have to keep these, all these rules you've got to keep. My goodness, you know, you're trapped, you're strapped down, handcuffed, gagged, straight jacket. You know, it turns the other way, doesn't it? The, the structure is presented as that which one actually should be being uplifted by are crushing you down. So these, this, uh, you realise that uh, actually... Any rule, position, status that may be there to to um, you know, to give one a sense of confidence is not going to work by itself because the mind's delusions are such that we tend to turn them upside down. When we want to feel we like the, that one else which wants to belong to things, we feel connected. In communities, we can sometimes feel we want to connect with people. So, you know, or, or, but then it's actually you can never really fully do that if you if you noticed. I mean, even in, so, so that monastic life is kind of connected, and yet, of course, it's it's sort of not. It's you know, people are coming and going. It's celibate. It's some of you know things change all the time. So you're not really that closely bonded, and yet one can no one can feel that it's a community life. It's a chance to feel you're really into something. You know, you you've got a context. And yet the context is somewhat um, mythical. And so we can actually try to make more of it than it is. Longing to really feel belonging and in touch and informed and related to. But actually the one of the 
ideas of the Sangha life is that, you know, your, your sense of belonging is towards, is towards Dhamma. So that just because of the fact that we can't form such intensely bonded personality relationships, it's supposed to be an asset. You know, say, look, you know, now, now, it means this stuff doesn't get in the way. Now you can actually belong to, to, to Dhamma, to, to the way it is, to, you know, to, to the silence of the mind, to, you know, these things. In which, it's not that you have to re- reject people in order to experience that, but you actually got, you turned it around the other way. So you, idea of uh, this Sangha life is that one belongs to the to Dhamma and in that we can experience people and events and things and relate to them but but we're not actually asking them to be something that they can, that they can't actually be. So when you want a feeling you want to belong to something you again you've really got to to uh, consider how, how does meditation and Dhamma practice, how does that fulfill that for you? And uh, enjoyment is another, is a very powerful need for us. And we certainly, in uh, the life of sense restraint, one very will assume it's, not, it's about not enjoying anything. So the hunger, because we're not allowed to enjoy, people say you're not allowed to enjoy your food. You just got to look at it as medicine or as putting petrol in a car. You know, we can't enjoy, because it's an attachment, it's beauty and it's, it's like that. So that tremendous, but when we do, you, where people normally get a lot of their, well, one of the ways in which you get a tremendous amount of energy is through enjoyment. That's, you don't have to apply yourself. You don't have to kind of force yourself. When you're enjoying something, you're really right there with it. Now how can you work that around into your meditation so that it's something that's enjoyable? Now, now what, what the... Mindfulness, concentration, discernment, using wisdom, reflection, these things, these are things that are there to, to enable one to use these energies which are got broken up into unfulfilled needs, need to have and hold and be strong, to have power, to have authority need to belong to something and feel connected and feel received and in touch and the need to enjoy these uh, spiritual practices to is to use is to actually find a way in which these energies are no longer going out into frustration where we can find something that we can feel enjoyment of connection to strength Clarity. So often, power and control and confidence really mean 
we're in a situation where we're not going to get blown around by things. We're not going to get knocked off balance. We're not going to have things take over us. We're not going to be bullied. We're not going to be humiliated. That's what it means, you know, why, why we need to have power. It's so that we can defend ourselves from these experiences. So, in meditation, Dhamma practice, then one of the aims of, of uh, the means of samadhi, of concentration, is just to provide this. You can see that concentration occurs in, is seen in different ways, but the one way in which is expressed is, if you like, it's the negation experience, whereby it's just a continual repudiation, dropping of other things, dropping of distraction, dropping of stray thoughts, dropping of this, dropping of that. So you just kind of left. It's like it seems to be on one level a kind of a simplification of the mind. So you get a kind of, you're not so that as we're practicing meditation, we're learning how to to not get uh, stuck to every um, stray thought or mood. And concentration has got a kind of has a, has a structure to it, doesn't it? You generally got some particular object that you concentrate on. Body, make it quite simple, like just the sitting body, or the breathing, or the standing body, the whole body, the whole body standing, or parts of it, like the foot, and the thigh, and the neck, and the hands, just kind of systematically, you can kind of just hold them, hold them, hold them like that. You can build up that uh, concentration, which, which gives one a sense of of um, freedom. Not an ultimate freedom, because you have to keep doing it. It's not like a, it's not like liberation, but it's a temporary deliverance from the distraction of being overpowered, of being um, just dumped on by. Thoughts, memories, feelings, and so on. Confusion. And that's when you, that's how to, you you want to achieve that, to come to that state. You have to keep using your energy for that. So these all night vigils, particularly, are chances where one can spend hours, periods of time, just working at that, periods of time when you do it and then do other things, but you can certainly use that chance to, to build up the ability to to focus on one point, keep coming back to it. Of course it's not, it, uh, it appeals to our sense perhaps of achieving things and, and kind of steadying, but it's not terribly enjoyable. I mean, it's not a kind of relaxed, easy experience. It's not something where we feel ourselves, um, you know, it's not a loving experience. It's not an experience where you feel 
supported, you have to do the work. Whereas the, the enjoyment experience or the loving experience is where there's no effort, it's just something is happening to you that you can just let go into and be with that. So it's, it's that, the experience of loving or being loved or that kind of, that, that way of, of talking about spiritual practice. So how do we find that in, in a all night meditation vigil? <laughs> and uh, see that uh, in a way the the if we use the structure intelligently and if we practice this uh, concentration methods intelligently, then you find that there is the possibility just of of what what becomes possible once you've begun to just find some sense of center. And often people do the, like the centering practices for a certain proportion of the time. Really feeling that the, the breath, focusing on it very strongly. And then we begin to, having cleared the mind, we begin to have the possibility for enjoyment. Which enjoyment, it's not so much the, the uh, about whether about just pleasant feeling, it's it, what it really means is that the state of arrest, you know, when you're still, you can be still because you no longer have to kind of push things away or hold on to anything. You've found a place of stillness. So the enjoyable quality of it is the, if you like, the effortlessness of it. So that's the pleasantness of meditation is, is not because we're having amazingly uh, glorious sensual experiences, but that we've come, come to a, a, a situation where there's a sense of rest, of arrest, of lack of force, lack of pressure, lack of need. And so that, that, is, that is experienced as a kind of benevolent, blessed state extremely like this state of pure enjoyment. And uh, very often the, the, um, these two modes, you, you move from one to the other, because if you just go, you get hooked on it, the enjoyment experience, uh, then, then eventually um, one loses any sense of purpose. There's the, it just kind of, it loses any any. Uh, you can't. You just your energy just eventually just goes down. You're kind of floating on a balloon that is no longer being sustained. It's not as if there's anything really holding it up. So it lasts as long as it will, and then you, you've kind of got out of the habit of actually, you know, priming it, working with it. You want to just stay in the enjoyment experience, so so that uh, one doesn't actually. Keep recycling, keep rejuvenating, keep regenerating the practice. We go into periods of enjoyment and then you know, kind of we coast on that for a while and then eventually it kind of peters out. And then in a rather, we're still try, hoping that we can just be in this state of not having to do anything, but we either fall asleep or start daydreaming or thinking, you know, and, uh, without because we, we've. We've abandoned the uh, practice of 
of um, structuring, energy, focusing, sharpening, attending, that kind of quality. When you get, you know, structure itself can be something that one actually, particularly if you've been doing a lot of thinking or working or containing, you know, you've actually been um, living life on that level, can be very, something you just don't want to do anymore. You know, you've already been doing this and that and sorting this out and figuring that out and talking to so-and-so and writing this and bashing that and then you think, oh, so I don't do any more of that kind of work stuff. I just want to go into a, a sort of pleasant space where I can accept everything. And that's quite quite reasonable. So, um, but it's it's kind of slow because it may be if you're doing a retreat or if you're doing one of these sittings that you sort of sit here and let everything kind of churn away for maybe two or three hours or sometimes three or four days if you're doing a retreat, and eventually. It's sort of the stuff has sorted itself out, and you can go to the, just the basic enjoyment experience. And this is rather like being, um, you know, a feather in the wind. That eventually the wind will die down, and you'll come to you'll settle. But the feather doesn't actually have any ability to steer itself. And of course, one feather's not much good. But uh, in use of structure is to create a bit of a wing so that, that and then you can steer and you can glide and you can determine which way you're going to go you can actually have more more immediate ability to go to to the to an to enjoyment experience but to do to the use you know one one to understand how these things work rather than just be stuck into a particular technique which again tends to give you the feeling of something that you have to do that's outside of yourself so again you know you can go into either feeling like you can't manage it or why do you have to do this or not really connected to it at all so one generally you try to develop a few ways of practice in ways that will actually help you to attend to body to breath and check out why it's difficult why it's boring or why it's too much hard work or something or why you just can't get any connection at all your mind just keeps slipping off it and rather than think well this means you just can't do it or it's not or it's not possible to do once you begin to see why you can't do it why it's not possible to do then you can compensate for it for example it may be that you're just trying to do something that's too refined it's too it's too small when you really your mind longs to be with something that's no longer fiddly but actually just big and simple so you can you can ex- you can widen your your field of concentration, like so, it's, it can be the body, or just sitting with your eyes open. So you've got the concentration is the visual consciousness. 
or, or just listening, you know, sitting and listening to silence and sounds and holding your attention on that. You don't need to just adopt a particular, um, you know, particular system or be feel too, too confined by a particular system. But you see that the, the underlying thing you're trying to do is create some form that, that holds attention to, to, to be to actually a structure of some kind. And so in, in practice you've got things that you, if you like you can work on a lot of meditations work on what we could roughly call the actual, what's actual. That is, things that we say really, really exist. We don't say, actually, they don't really exist, they actually exist. And I mean, actual means it kind of occurs in sense consciousness. That is, it's, a, it's like, and, and it's, it's can be, or the external sense consciousness. We call those, those real events like sounds, touches, feeling, uh, tastes, sensations. Those are actual events. Whether they're real or not, is another matter. <laughs> or we can have imagined things. You know, so we to we have a lot of imagination. A lot of our imagination is caught up with worry, where we, we something that isn't actual, you know, but it doesn't mean it's not real. It's real for you, it's imagined. It could be a worry, it can be a grudge, it can be a resentment. And uh, often the Mind will say, "Well, this is real. I'm not making it up. This is, you know, this is a, a real worry about a real problem." And but we say when we say it's imagined rather than actually, it means that that instead of it, it it's it, the mind actually creates it right now. So it's not something that's coming to you. It's something that you it's produced, imagined. And a lot of our imagination is caught up with with uh, compulsions, habits. Now, meditation practice is also offer the opportunity to ima- have imagination that is, is not habitual, such as um, things like the Brahma Vihara, the Metta, Karuna, Mudita, Upeka. These, we could say, are ima- you know, imaginations. We create them. We, we determine to do that. We, we bring the mind up to consider, to look in this way towards kindness or forgiveness, sensitivity to others' suffering, awareness of suffering, the awareness of gladness of, other, of, the, of people's happiness, the awareness of equanimity because of the way things are, because of karma. And these we can call examples of imaginations that are, are definitely, you know, meditation practices. So there's a lot of scope, isn't there? Really? For both the actual and the imaginary. Now, when you consider this, then recognize that, as I say, the actual doesn't have to be watching a breath. It can be keeping your eyes open. It can be listening to sound. It can be 
tracing the, the, the sensations in your body. And the imagined doesn't have to be the Brahma Vihara. It can, in that way, we can, for example, um, consider or bring up the impression of space, the imagination of space, just offering things space. So the thoughts, the feelings the, in our life, we can bring up that impression of giving them space. When you're doing um, standing, I don't know if you're ever just standing and contemplating the body and recognizing what happens if, you, if when you're standing and you, you imagine, you really Im- imagine your body as being connected to the ground rather than something that's, you know, that's sort of separate from it. What that, how that, what that feels like. Or if we imagine having something behind you that's extremely supportive or benevolent. So you can imagine the benevolence. And those have quite, those have palpable effects. Sometimes you don't recognize how there is, in the unenlightened state, there's a whole imagination process going on which is about fear or inadequacy, tension. So you don't recognize that your body is actually held in a depressed state. It, it, it breathes depression. It, it, it kind of bleats depression. People's body language is in a kind of crumpled, um, frightened state. And they're not, they don't realize they're doing it because it's happening so habitually um, that it's no longer detected. But then we can actually imagine what's it like to experience the body as something that we, we, uh, we love or that is loved. That is approved of. Or that our, our mind or our heart is something that's approved of. And that we are welcoming it, interested in it, rather than trying to suppress it, calm it down, shape it up, chop it to pieces, build it. But actually it's something that we, we look at with a benign, appreciative eye. Now that's, that's a skillful imagination. So things like the Brahma Vihara are, if you like, are like classical modes that you can draw from for meditation. They're not things that you've got to do like you know, like five-finger exercises. You can do them to build up particular strengths and to examine things, but just to draw on these resources which are given. They're not things that, you know, that are there to, 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 to shape you up into some contrived form. They're there as resources. And then, you, you know, what do they mean? How, what does it mean to experience you know, a, a kindness towards oneself when standing or walking? What does it mean to experience kindness towards a, um, 
towards the other people around you when you're not actually talking to them. Just the, the feeling of how do these perceptions relate? When you, when you look at other humans, do you think, oh no, the people here. Is that, is that that kind of feeling? You know, where you almost, your senses are trying to get away from it? Then, you know, that's, that's something you can recognize and work around. So there's a kind of energy that comes from the fact of Dhamma Vijaya, or investigation of things in terms of Dhamma. It's one of our basic energy uh, processes. It helps you to concentrate. It helps you to re- to develop uh, sampajanya, to develop wisdom, and it, it helps you to determine how meditation should be best guided and informed. Uh, so, with the insight practice, you you do a lot of this. Insight practice is a, is a one that that is there to for us to um, bring our creative intelligence into our unique intelligence, our particular way we are, the things that strike us, the the kind of things that, that are meaningful to us, including understanding the particular peculiar the peculiarities of the problems or the uniqueness of the situations that karmically we find ourselves in. So it really is an awakening experience just to understand and come to terms with and to apply some of these things. This is what makes it so enjoyable. It gives you a lot of scope. Whereas if you if you use this so you, you learn how to practice, then your practice has got is quite immediate. You're not spending hours slogging away building up to something. You can actually see the point where your practice needs to go and it has immediate effects. So that you get that sense of immediate kind of understanding of of suffering and release from it. I find I've, sometimes I've, I've been practicing um, being being looked at, being seen that kind of experience when you're um, in the centre of a group of people which I often find myself in in these 
in these monasteries in situations where you're the kind of central person. So the people aren't necessarily physically staring at you, but yet, you know, you're, they tend to be looking at you either metaphorically or considering or listening or what you do counts, you know. So you, you feel very much like uh, you can't really do anything without somebody kind of noticing it and that you know, everybody's kind of waiting for you to say something or do something. And uh, and just looking at that experience, sometimes you get the feeling of, oh, you know, either you've got to keep producing something that will be interesting, you know, because people want something from you, or the feeling of, why well, do I always have to kind of keep dragging this thing along? Or even the feeling of, well, they go away. <laughs> you know, well, why don't I, why don't I go away? <laughs> so I do. <laughs> but actually, even within it, I can see that how, how what seems to be an external situation is really an internal one. What the problem is that, that basically, in that situation, I immediately feel negative about myself. Now if I if I if if I change that into a, 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 the feeling of of not that people want something from me, or I've got to produce something, but actually people enjoying my presence. You know, I might as well imagine one as imagine imagine the other. I don't know, <laughs> but just in terms of getting out of suffering, thinking what happens if I just do it that way? That actually I'm a completely lovable being. You know, instead of whatever else I kind of unconsciously imagine myself to be then I'm not actually people don't have to do anything different the feeling of that sense suddenly that there's no not I don't feel pressurized I feel I can just relax I feel I can just enjoy being here now you know how actually real taking ownership of what seems to be an external predicament and seeing what it means and then deliberately changing that meaning consciously changing that meaning with imagination so that you get a, a result an effect And cessation is what enjoyment's about. It's the, the, the no longer need, the no longer compulsion, the freedom from having to hold or belong or find or get away from. Then that we are here and we're in that state of, of, of stopping. And it's rather like, hey, well, look where we are. What's going on here? Suddenly everything is, well, look at that. It's, it's, it's unique. It's got a kind of joyful quality to it. It has an innocence, if you like. And that's what, when the mind, when there is cessation, this is what we're talking about. It doesn't necessarily mean that we have become some kind of um, unfeeling unfeeling center, but that that our inner compulsions have stopped so that we're able to feel things with no uh, motivation, with no aim, with no need. So, and feeling is then, to feel is joyful. 
It's but a lie, isn't it? So these are things you need to check out. Some of these ordinary, you know, seemingly external experiences that you find you 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 define yourself in. The person who has to do this, or the person who other people think this about, or the one who never gets, you know, whatever it is, and really, don't take ownership of those things. It's your life. Particularly, you know, you must get to the point when it keeps happening time after time, year after year. You know, that, well, why do you keep coming back to that particular pattern of experience? And no matter how much you try to calm down or meditate or explain it, it, it you know, it doesn't go away because we haven't hit the point yet. This is what insight is about. This is what Dhamma Vijaya is about. This is what Applied wisdom's about. Uh, the experience I sometimes uh, I have to come my mind my life can waver between feeling one is wasting one's time doing uh, and feeling that actually, you know, in other words, being involved with things that don't have any point or purpose to the other extreme, having so many things that have point and purpose that you haven't got enough time. You know, you're, you're sort of um, oppressed. Oh, so many things to do, it's urgent. No, 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 no. And then suddenly a period of hanging around. Why do we have to bother with this? This is a waste of time, isn't it? You know, these these oscillations. I, I contemplate that experience. You know, what's that about? You know, the uh, feeling it's about in, it's about enjoyment, isn't it? It's about the, that when I'm doing something I don't I don't enjoy, it's a waste of time. Well, but then what I don't recognise is that when there's a lot of things that seem to be urgent and pressing, something me actually enjoys it. And it may not even be pleasant, but it's enjoyable to, in the sense in which it kind of gives one, it, it gives one a feeling of um, belonging, doing things, getting things done, achieving, and so on. And this is not true, true enjoyment, is it? It's a sort of, it's a it's a rush. It's being. It's it's an it's an identity. So this something that I want to kind of contemplate. What does wasting? What does important things mean? And what are unimportant things? And then recognizing that just the need to transcend those those boundaries. And it's quite interesting because, of course, as a when uh, I've been wasting my time most of my life, actually, <laughs> on one level, I'm sure, like uh, becoming a monk for for my, my at least my my family, because you know, why are you wasting your life being a monk? And you could be being um, something else, you know, making money, having children, having a house. 
having an ulcer. <laughs> having a mortgage. Having a heart attack. Reality. Instead of wasting your time sitting around looking at your navel. In monastic life, when you start to do things, you start to maybe uh, read things, write things, study things, go places. He would say, you're wasting your time, you should be meditating. You should be sitting around watching your breath. You're just getting caught up in all kinds of stuff. You're wasting your time. Why, you know, you're distracting yourself. So you recognise actually you can't really win. But you but to, to you can only know in yourself what what uh, real, the real waste of time is, is when we get stuck into um, into using experiences to exter- external experiences to fulfil what are really internal needs then that's what attachment is about and that's why it's frustrating and pointless and why it's suffering and then you consider is it possible to do things without getting hooked on them is it possible to to talk to go places without getting stuck into it is it possible to have sense contact without attachment is it possible to to be with human other humans without getting kind of wound up in them. And this is a kind of thing for our, our meditation. Because you look at, at what is projected and you keep taking it back into yourself and working with it. You look at your love projections or your hate projections or your trying to please somebody projections or your wishing everybody liked you projections or your feeling everybody hates you projections. And you keep owning them, taking them back and understanding what they mean and how you need to practice, what you need to bring up to practice in order that you can bring around their cessation. And this is what in a way, takes us to enjoyment, the delight of Dhamma. Because as you work with these seemingly trivial things, seemingly real things, they're either actual or imagined, seemingly continuing but actually repetitive, seemingly embedded within one or in external circumstances, 
insight always takes you back to the recognition these are changing and not self. And that's the, the, if you like, that's the focus, the final focus. That's, the, that's the, where the concentration of insight always comes back to through wise reflection, through sampajanya, through dhamma-vijaya. You're always coming back to that. You get, you centering on that, the worry experience or the, the, the want experience, it always comes down to these points. And the, the final, the release, the cessation, or the freedom from them, is to, is to know they're that. Because when you know it's that, when you know that these experiences are changing, not self, unsatisfactory, there's, a, there's the recognition of that which experiences, rather than being always seem identified with these experiences themselves. In cessation, there's a realization of that which is experiencing that which feels rather than being the feeling. To feel existence, if you like, to respond to it rather than to be it. And that's the middle path between existence and non-existence, between becoming and annihilation, is to be this which can experience the actual, the imagined, and yet not be it not identify with it, not be asking something from it, not be pushing it away. When you have a lot of uh, emotional stuff going on, try to to see what it's like, just to to know what it is to feel, rather than be the feeling, just that, that sensitivity to... You know, the, the experience the mind as that which jumps or runs or palpitates or trembles, just to be at that point. So you can, if you use Dhamma in that way, then quite immediately you come to a meditation point where you can experience this the sense of, of cessation rather than trying to calm down every feeling or stop the moods or, you know... It, sort of rationalize the depression out of existence, just to go back to focusing on the ability to feel that which feels. Then you see how you use, if you use wisdom, use discernment, it supports mindfulness, it supports concentration, it supports energy, because it takes you to something that you can do and which arouses you, which arouses your, your aspiration and your intelligence and confirms your faith. So this panya, this, the power of wisdom, the power of discernment, is that which uh, is the result, the fruit, the tool of meditation. It helps us to keep informing our practice and one of the 
the realize, realization with, with wisdom is you, that you recognize you keep pulling your fruits back into the structures of your practice, learning how to practice, learning what particular forms you can use, learning how to use these forms like all night sittings, or evening pujas, or long retreats, or anapanasati, or vinaya, using structures and actually putting your wisdom and the fruits of your practice back into it so that your life comes together. Then there is collectedness and contemplation. And one is uh, living Dhamma, supporting Dhamma, and enjoying Dhamma. I offer this for your reflection. Dhamma Yadika Sadhu Karam Dhamma Sayyam.